And as it's coming out, it's separating. It's like bifurcating. It's like metastasizing mm-hmm. or it's dividing itself up and it's dark and it's shadowed and it's shielded and a life form that's created comes crawling out. Welcome back. I am here again with Dr. David Morehouse for the third segment of the episode on Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, the Rocky Mountain Ranch episode, kind of the background of it. Again, this is not affiliated in any way with the production of Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, just David did a bunch of background work for it, and we're reviewing that work. David, we left off about to talk about life forms that your team of 70 remote viewers saw or sketched in their remote viewing. So with that, why don't you get us started? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Let me share again. This won't take long, but it's one of the higher strange things that people like watching because it's it's bizarre. So in the life form category, we've already gone through all the other things, which are the cubes and the vortices and the UAPs and UFOs and all that kind of stuff. Underground things, above ground things, spacecraft, alien craft, but now these are life forms. So As I was saying in the last session, we want viewers to see the big picture. And that typically happens. And we also find in this analysis that there's a huge spectrum of variety of life forms that were perceived here. And I'm not talking possum and prairie dogs. These were humanoid life forms. But it was interesting just to see them and see each of the viewers work hard to try to figure out what the heck they were looking at because they didn't know what they were looking at. And again, the detect, decode, and the objectify process causes them to go through that conscious decoding where the brain pulls up things that, if it has an association to something, it can quickly grab that. If it doesn't have any association and it's struggling to package it as a decoded four-dimensional lexicon you know or imagery for you it takes longer and there are struggles but in this i pulled out just for us to see the stuff that the viewers pulled out now again there were hundreds of images that were actually pulled out that all correlated and worked for this but i I can't take one alien life form and put 70 different variations of that on a slide to look at because Mm -hmm. remember we were trying to prepare this for hoping we could shoehorn this into Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. But this is where one of the reasons why it just became so overwhelming to them that they just did a small segment, left it out there, just talking about the vertical sensing. And that's mm-hmm. okay. This place we've been describing it as, and the viewers were describing it as like this crossroads, this convergence points of invisible sky trails or you know ley lines or PowerPoints or portals and vortices and things that are opening and closing. And so it's such a high busy area that in my analysis, it makes sense that there's such a spectrum of life forms that are being described here. And in talking to Katie, who's been out there, it is that kind of a place. The numbers of different kinds of life forms that were present over the time we were there were huge. And from the ones that they called like white fuzzies to others that you might call a Bigfoot to others that were 
greenish skin that sparkled to others that had little small impish dark critter looking things to grays to you name it right they're out there and it would make sense if this is a point where things converge and cross in and out through various portals and vortices kind of like a, a freeway interchange if you want to use that analogy and that would explain to me as an analyst when i'm looking at the broad spectrum of things here it also means why there's so much military activity around the area west point is off to the west up in the mountains there uh, not west you point, mean uh, the air, air force academy, academy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 sorry is off out to the west there there's certainly a military presence for that and Fort Carson, Colorado is south, and there's certainly a big military presence there. They say that the Air Force Academy is the busiest military airport in the world. That's what they say. The Academy itself describes it as that. Then you have Fort Carson has everything from fixed and every imaginable kind of rotary wing aircraft, Blackhawks, CH-47s everything that they have that has a rotor on it, right? And there's also fixed wing in and out of there, C-17s and other stuff, flying you know, troops in different places around the world or in the United States. So there's a lot of just standard military kind of traffic and presence around there just by virtue of that. But there's also a lot of it around that people can't really get comfortable with because there seems to be things that are underground there that be are perceived by viewers and also that people in the community will talk about and say that they've seen it and they know it but they don't know what it is or why it is and of course mm -hmm. access is restricted now look it, what could it be i mean yeah there are always explanations for things it could be old titan missile silos <laughs> how close is cheyenne mountain that's up to the north and i don't think it's very far to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. It could be something that ties the Air Force Academy to Cheyenne. Who knows? I'm just speculating. Yeah, could be. Yeah, me too. That's all I'm doing. But there's seems to be a tremendous underground presence in large briefing rooms. You know, there were lots of sketches by viewers of men briefing with screens up on the wall, like you would see at a big tactical operations center, right? Or strategic center, all that kind of stuff. Again, could be viewers overlaying, but there was a lot of it. There was just a lot of it that was coming up. And most of it tied to things underground, that kind of thing. So I don't know if we know everything about where everything is from a military, particularly a strategic command center. And of course, we wouldn't know that, right? We wouldn't be told that. So there could be a lot of things that are there that could be tied into the humming noises that people hear or feel or you know, sense the vibrations of things that are there. It still doesn't describe the vast array of life forms that get dis discovered, the high strangeness that takes place there. We're just tossing around that, yeah, we could sit back in our armchair and say, well, it could be this and it could be that and it could be this. And you can apply all the logical explanations to it you want, but there's still high strangeness that goes on there. Still people that claim to be frozen in their tracks by boxes glowing in front of them, orbs and lights and craft and other things flying around and shooting around all over the place, disappearing into the mountains or coming out of the mountains or streaking across the sky or dropping straight down and disappearing before they hit the ground and 
other places shooting up out of it, into the trees, out of the trees. If it were just a few stories like that, but it's an entire area, the entire county around that area is covered with those kinds of stories and those kinds of Mm -hmm. experiences. And according to Katie, the sheriff of the area talked with some of the folks in the, I think in the production crew there and said, this has always been a place where you just can't write off strange occurrences because we've all seen them and we've all had them. And it's pretty hard to get law enforcement usually to step up and look at things like that and go, holy cow, that's really weird. I can't explain that. I've never seen that before. I don't even know what that could possibly be, but I'm standing here looking at it. I've seen law enforcement officers do that kind of stuff before, but that's extraordinarily rare. And then to go on a camera or even to talk to a production crew and admit something like that as a sitting sheriff or an active law enforcement officer, that's even rarer for something like that to occur. It's a strange place. But here, back to the life forms. Again, the numbered sketch up here that being numbered is 16. That's just this viewer saying this was an impactful, high energy vision that was being perceived of military guys sitting around a map and looking at it and artificial lighting, a blinking light in the background, no windows, senior leadership, five people total around a map, some sort of a meeting, right? Life form and dark uniforms, studying a piece of paper map. Smoke smell, well, we know, well, it could have been in 1976, they could have been smoking in there. Eyeglasses, white face, 65 years old. Well, that would have been very rare. I don't even think yeah, 65 year old generals. So yeah, that couldn't have been. But, you know. This uh, is unless there's years. like a DOD civilian, maybe, who knows? Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, very much could have been. But the number, this sketch is 16. As they're writing their session summary, they will refer to that sketch. They'll say, you know, they'll write in more elaborate terms, right? This is just Mm -hmm. them as they're in the session. They're just jotting down things that they're perceiving. And then when they get into the session summary, they get more complete. They put all of that together in a paragraph form talking about, and then they'll say, see sketch number 16 on page 28. (laughs) That's how they'll do that. Though on the right-hand side, it's misleading until you kind of read what's there. These forms seem alien. The viewer writes at the top. They're brown or they're gray. These people are complex. They're using their body as a language. Another interesting decoded concept. And then you see the quote there, a people of the sky. Energetic glow has an effect on people, their energetic glow, these life forms, and they are not sure what to do or what to think. It's like being bathed in the glow of sunlight or in sun glow. So again, interesting. I don't know if that description confirmed for Katie anything that she'd experienced or seen, but here again, too, when we got into some of these and looked at some of these life forms, she got noticeably nervous about it you know are uncomfortable yeah yeah much more uncomfortable yeah i saw the pilot from a previous session so the pilot from a previous session you saw a sketch of that face and we talked about it this would have been like in somewhere in the first hour 
but it's different now. Somebody else is drawing this thing. It's being evasive. There's some sort of a containment process unfolding, something jarring. And they're talking about the trees around them, buildings and nature and with windows. Something floats off. Spindly arms up here. You can see this one. Again, some viewers get very detailed in their drawings and others don't. <laughs> they just don't. Mm -hmm. Spindly arms. This is probably very strange for a viewer that has no idea what they're perceiving to do this, but they also know this is a failing because what they have to do is they should have probed this a little bit more and given me some different descriptors of what was the flesh like? Was it spongy? Was it solid? Was it hard? What was its color? You see a sketch like this and it comes down as spindly arms. There should have been more <laughs> descriptors in there, right? Right. It doesn't even look like spindly arms in the illustration either, right? Yeah. Again, something, this coned head, I guess, or coned or curved geometric pattern up here. Elemental ELF. And then you can see the crystalline pattern and other things that this viewer puts down for this. Again, it's rubbing some stones together, stone objects rubbing together, like mm. onyx, right? Like onyx or quartz, something like that. But again, you know, just a depiction. Remember, these people are doing this in the blind. They have absolutely mm -hmm. no idea. They're looking at an event arc of time. There were lots of people that had combed helmet things drawn. There were lots of people that had these things wearing stuff in the front like some sort of eye protection, like a helmet, like a aviator's mask or something like that. This one, I have a story to tell about this one. This is a vortex and something is emerging up out of it. And it's life forms, plural. And as it's coming out, it's separating. It's like bifurcating. It's like metastasizing mm -hmm. or it's dividing itself up. And it's dark and it's shadowed and it's shielded. And a life form that's created comes crawling out. So here again, it's splitting, and then it becomes this life form down in the bottom here. But multitudes of this. Now, when this picture was shown to the, the hosts, the television hosts, both of them turned around and said, the grandmother at this ranch who lives in a home up and away from the main house when she was being interviewed, told them that there is a short three to four foot tall, all dark being that frequents the area around her property, like in her garage and out in the front of her house all the time. And in the back door of her house, like out on the back porch or whatever is there. And she said, it's my little buddy. And whatever you do, don't piss him off. So when this drawing came up, they just went, that's exactly how she described it. Exactly. She showed us sketches of it and she goes, and that's exactly how it looked. So I was like, wow, good. So there it is. You know, that's something crawling out of a vortice, splitting and splitting to become multitudes of these little dark beings like this. Again, Were there any emotions associated with this thing? I mean, it looks kind of creepy, but it sounds like it's not a threat. <clears throat> 
No, the viewer didn't put any of those down. Now, again, I'm not for you in this simplistic portrayal of this. In the viewer's session summary, there could have been a great number, and they would have said, see sketch 27 on page 42. And they may have said, dark little energy creature, that one thing comes about of the portal and it splits and splits and splits to become multiple creatures or multiple life forms, I should say. It shouldn't be rude and say creatures multiple life forms and all of them small and all of them very dark and they may have said mm -hmm. but, but friendly or a sense of peaceful or just curious or impish or something else i don't know you take the grandmother there who again is not a big follower of this stuff or engaged with it she just happens to be the grandmother living there on this ranch with her son or daughter and she says it's my little friend don't piss it off meaning i don't hit it or shoot her to fire a rocket at it or some other thing. Not that they would, but I think that that's what she was implying. Don't do something horrible to him because he doesn't bother me kind of a deal. So that was okay. This one? Out of left field, right? Well, it was described as a half-breed, a nocturnal real emissary. Now, when this was first shown, and again, Katie and the others, they said, White antelope people are something that people have reported around there. The viewer is describing it as a half-breed. Now, how would we know? I don't know anybody that's talked to these, but I was told by those who have lived at this place and who have experienced it, that white antelope people are part of the life-form encounters that take place out there. So... That's why I didn't know that when I captured the sketch and put it down here. But as soon as they saw a white antelope person, then they immediately confirmed, yeah, that's reported as being around here. There are white antelope people that come and go around here. That's, you know, that's wild. Because when I first saw this, too, I think you and I were like, where, where did this come from? But the fact that it correlates to random yeah. sightings that are, that are – because it's very specific. It's not like – a gray or a mantis being or something like that that people report all the time like this is something that's very very specific and is very specifically different than anything else that abductees and contactees or whatever you want to call them often yeah. report if you read further in the description down there it's like a cross between the island of dr moreau right and nightbreed <laughs> so again what does that tell you this is the viewer again through the process of detecting and decoding and objectifying the sketch that the decoding process i keep saying things get decoded based on your experience database right so this viewer clearly has a reference for experience with the movie or the book about dr moreau and nightbreed those two right those and nightbreed two, is that it's like that clive barker yeah. Story, movie, whatever. I have actually not seen either, but I'm aware of them. And I know one was supposed to be this uh, science fiction breeding of human beings that, that went awry and created all these strange creatures. And this person, this viewer as detecting and decoding it, the image of what they perceive, and then the image pops up as it's like that or that. Again, I wanted to include it because of its high strangeness. But I also was really 
intrigued when Katie and others turned around and said, yes, there are white antelope people around here. You know, that that's part of what gets cited around here, that they move in and out of the trees and other things. And so, okay, there you go. There you have it. An emissary, a nocturnal half-breed emissary. Interesting. And then... This is really creepy. <laughs> yeah. An alien or supernatural visage. So this life form, somebody perceived it there. And it, not everything that crosses through our dimension or that is in our space, in our living area, you know, anything like that, not everything is positive and not everything is negative either, but not everything is positive. It's probably mm -hmm. not all friendly. Some of it probably has good intent. Some of it has malintent. We just don't know. And you can't flag them down and say, stop here. You know, I got lemonade because, you know, you don't know. You might end up having a probe inserted or something <laughs> else kind of thing, right? So I yeah. think that this viewer in the process of doing the work, it was an interesting discussion about what this was. And it's an interesting piece of artwork on it. But it was just a sense of something really kind of foreboding, something dark and shadowed and hidden and maybe sinister kind of a sense. And clearly that depiction is there when you're looking at this. And that would make sense. It's not all emissaries and it's not all little friendly, dark life forms that are friends of grandma's. And we can't fool ourselves and think that it is quite obviously, right? So yeah, I wanted to pull this in. There were a lot of, of sketches of things like grays. And there were a lot of sketches of the little dark creatures. There were variations of the sketches on the antelope people, on the antelope guy. And there were several cone-capped wearing things and lots of, as I said earlier, helmeted pilots, but clearly alien pilots otherworldly pilots wearing face masks and stuff like that. So that was pretty common to see that. So my conclusions of looking at all of these things that I provided for Travis and Eric was that without knowing what the feedback on the site was, and the site had a long history of anomalous high strangeness, activity in the form of portals and openings and vortices and unexplained UFO UAP phenomenon, non-human life forms, energy bursts, energy vacuums, sky roads, ley lines at all, and more. The viewers sketched and described this kind of phenomenon across all three other targets, regardless of past or present, time focus, or established target intention. And there is a perceived as you know a massive government interest in the site, past and present. Only the interest is better hidden or masked these days, and that would probably be true given whatever might be going on there. Viewers' mm -hmm. emotions spanned a wide range, uh, wherein even trained former military personnel on the team recorded being cautious or greatly concerned about the energy and presence in the place. And it's hoped that this remote viewing team accomplished the following things. A, validated the information already known or suspected, and B, answered additional questions regarding specific hotspots, and C, provided enough additional data to help the investigators on site fine-tune their efforts in and around the target site. And the wide range of viewer interpretations of non-human life forms is 
interpreted in this way. This is my analysis, okay? Individual viewer Rolodex for alien life forms, i.e. they sketch what their conscious mind decodes when your conscious mind decodes the information as based on what they are familiar with. And B, there's indeed a massive variety of life forms in and out of this target site due to the complexity of the site's vortices, portal openings, and obvious presence as a transportation or travel hub, as several viewers described it, meaning it would be akin to a train station or a major airport in terms of the kinds of life forms converging on this place. And that was what it looked like. But I want to show you some pictures of the site now. So you saw the radio tower, and there it is. That radio tower was there. This is the actual ranch, right? The ranch is one kilometer, half kilometer, one kilometer back, half kilometer front, one road coming out here. But out in here is where all of this strange, anomalous, these creatures are all the time, out running around in this area. Hmm. Somebody sketched a pond. That right there is a pond, but it's a dry pond. This is like a dam, an earthen dam used to catch water that comes running, snow melt and that kind of stuff. They capture it right in here, but it, obviously it's dried down to nothing. Here's a dry stream bed. It goes all the way back yeah. out this way. And one of your remote viewers also talked about this depression, right? Where there was no water, yeah, right it was there. dry, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah. But there is that tower right there, you can see, right? So next, there's a silo. I remember one viewer sketched this, called it a silo, and then another viewer sketched on the side and called it a hollow pipe. You can see, if you remember back to the sketches that were done of the structures, wooden structures, they look just like this. This is the terrain. I remember it was described as undulating. Someone else mm -hmm. described it as like a split rail fence around the property with trees on it. We were not permitted to shoot pictures of any of the people who live there, rightly so. And we were not permitted to pick, take pictures of any of the production crew or any of the talent that were there. Here again, this is the main house the other stuff you're seeing out there are barns and things, but this is the main house. And this, I believe, was where they actually set up their command center, where they did all their measurements and other stuff was in there. If you saw the episode, this is an above ground pool. I'm not sure why that picture was there other than it was what we were permitted to shoot. <laughs> it was very frustrating to be told you can't take pictures of any of the people here. Mm -hmm. The whole place is just filled with people in their production vans and everything else. But <laughs> You know, it's pretty crazy. These little wells, the little fake wells were around, and some of them were real wells. The cistern, you saw it on the episode, but we weren't permitted to take a picture of it. We weren't permitted to, like, walk around and take pictures. And I get that, because what they didn't want is they didn't want to be taking a picture or setting up a scene and then having footprints in the snow that were made by me or, uh, you know. The, yeah. The assistant was with me there taking pictures. They, they didn't want that. So here, one guy stands it up, calls it a silo. Another guy sets it down and calls it a hollow pipe. And it's this propane tank from my perspective. And it does kind of look like a split rail fence. Uh, it does have wire in it, but it looks like a split rail fence. I have no idea, again, why we took so many pictures of this propane tank, but it was because 
this is what we could take pictures of. So again, there's a faraway picture of just looking across the front gate and you can see up in here, you can see the, the tower. And this is not the ranch's property, that's something else. That's about a kilometer away as the crow flies to that right there. Wow. That has actually the front gate right out here, way out there, that's the front gate. And then you get down and when you get there, there's another gate and that's the one. I would not go there. Just had to put those horns there for you guys since I saw the white antelope people. <laughs> and here you can see this is where I briefed from, which was kind of nuts. And the other talent all stood around here. It was uh, a three-camera shoot. It was a lot of fun, but it was quick, except I wasn't quick. I took four hours this day and two hours another day. These are some of the parts and pieces of things that were sketched by people. If you remember back to oh, the yeah. slides, the right? truck, yeah, the Jeep, it was sketched. And, you know, the front end, there were front grills that were sketched like that, grills like this one, you know. It was a weird place to be doing a, a briefing, but, mm -hmm. it, you know, was what it was. And that's it. That was the remote viewing work that was done on Rocky Mountain Ranch. So what's the follow-up to this? Are they going to, if they continue the season, are they going to invite you back? Or are they considering maybe doing something standalone? Like, what's the current status of all that? I don't know. I don't know. Because it's a lot of different things. I mean, you know, like, as we said, you know, earlier, if, it, if we can get your viewers to and listeners to go to the History Channel YouTube site, and then go to episode three of Beyond Skinwalker Ranch. There, you can make comments below. And if, if you make comments that say, hey, we would like to have more remote viewing and have it involved in the show to give us some potential answers for some of this stuff. Vice, it always being, gee, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that sure is strange. I mean, yeah, it's strange. It'd be nice mm -hmm. to have the correlation of data that comes from a team of 70 or 100 viewers. And the work that we did for this was unprecedented. I've done many full spectrum shows on remote viewing that were like tests. These were real shows. It was like, you know, unsolved mysteries or unsolved history, or mm -hmm. there was one called proof positive. If I'm not mixing the shows up for the proof positive, I, I know that we went there and they had uh, a California highway patrol sergeant. His name was Rhett. I can't remember his last name. And he was the proctor to make sure that there was no cheating going on. As I recall in that one, it was done where they decided it was gonna be a beaconing target. I mean, they just asked me what we could do. And then I just said, well, these, these, this and that and that. So the next thing that happens is they go, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put a girl Harley rider on a Harley Sportster with her helmet. We're gonna mount a camera to her helmet and she's gonna drive a loop and what we want to know is, can the viewers figure out where this person is? And can the viewers mm -hmm. pick out landmarks or other things, structures that this person might see? Okay, it's a beaconing target. And I had 10 really highly trained, skilled viewers. And so you had Sergeant Rhett in there while they're doing extended remote viewing. And I'm there. I want to make sure he doesn't go over and kick him or step on a foot or something like that while they're in session. But he sat there with me and then they were told it's a beaconing target. 
and your coordinates are, you know? And then we put them in session and the bike was already gone on its track. 90 minutes later, they come out and they start doing their session summaries and Sergeant Rett's walking around looking at him. He's looking over at me going like, geez, you know, my God, you know? And they actually interviewed him at the end of this as a highway patrolman. He goes, I have no idea how they did what they did, but mm -hmm. it sure did change my perspective on what they were capable of doing. I mean, he goes, that was pretty amazing to me. And then off camera, he was like, holy shit, you know, like that is unbelievable. I said, well, yeah, you know, it has lots of applications in law enforcement and law enforcement investigations. And it has been used that way before, but it has to be done like this. It has to be done as a team, not one person showing up unsolicited and you know, dumping a bunch of crap on a desk in the homicide, you know, or something like that. Anyway, it was nice to see him fascinated with that. And uh, we did another show and it was done the, the same way. And, they, and there was a proctor that stayed with the viewers to make sure I wasn't feeding them information or anything like that. And also mm -hmm. when we started to analyze their data, it was done with me and a producer. And me and a producer would sit down and put it together. And one of the producers just for the proof positive one, the motorcycle one became ashen white. I'm not kidding, you know, and her hands kind of started to shake and it was a sketch and the sketch was done by uh, one of my viewers by the name of Romel. And when the guy was putting her helmet on with the camera on, right, he's standing in front of her and he's putting it on and he's a gaffer. So he's putting down the tape and stuff on it. And she is looking right at his chest the motorcycle rider. She's looking right at his chest as he's strapping the helmet down and gaffing down with tape so it doesn't come off, right? And Ramel sketched what she was looking at, sketched the image that was on this shirt, which was of like a face with sunburst all around it, but it was an artistic drawing of multicolors and stuff, right? An unusual t-shirt. It was on the, the gaff guy's hat, you know, putting it down the camera system, whatever he was. And Ramel sketched that. And that just freaked this producer out because she did not expect that. She expected we were going to be going through and looking at contour sketches and other stuff. And, you know, and yeah, did what else did they sketch? You know, they sketched Capitol Records. They sketched the Getty Museum. They, they nailed all the stuff. And so everybody walked out of there just like going, that's just amazing. You know, that's amazing. And then that got another one of those things that happened and mm -hmm. another one that happened. And then some stupid ones came along. Like, you know, they did the ninja thing. I think I told you about that was ridiculous. What was the ninja thing? I don't, I don't know if you told me that one. So I can't remember what production company or what channel is it, but it's still out there. And I think it was history channel and it was a thing about the ninja. And so here's the setup. They got this, place in california it's an old mansion that's now just used for film most of the time and it's built in an italian style that it was used in the first godfather it's where the horse head was cut off and that kind of stuff it's in lake tahoe like that no no it's no oh, that okay. was a godfather two, two. godfather yeah. one the, the place where the director who johnny fontaine can't get the acting job remember that and so the godfather sends the guy's the lawyer anyway 
that building, that mansion is there. That's in that. And, and they just use it for that now. So they're in there and they've got this place set up. And the scenario is as follows. They have cameras, little remote cameras everywhere in this place. And mm -hmm. it's two stories plus a, a basement and a whole bunch of other things. And it's large. I mean, it's probably 10,000 square feet. And they're going to put someone that's a hostage that's going to act as a hostage. And they're going to put them in the building. And nobody's going to know where they're putting them. Except, you know, like one of the producers. And the job is they've got three elements that I've got to find this person. First up is the ninja. Now, the ninja is this guy with a graying beard and stuff. And he's on camera. He goes, yeah, you know, I've studied all this remote viewing stuff. And I'm, I'm going like, no, you have not. I mean, for Pete's sake, another person that's got to ride on coattails of others, you know, no, you have not. But his job now is he has to get into the building and find the hostage. So, you know, that they let him do this. Now, nobody in there knows what he is or who he looks like or anything else. So what he does is he goes and grabs. First of all, I thought he was going to be in like ninja costume. Like, you know, I thought he was going to be in, in booties with toe things. And I thought he was going to have like steel claws and he was going to Spider-Man up the building and be upside down looking at all the windows or something like that. No, no, no such thing. I thought he might stand off and use bow and arrow and take everybody out and then go find the hostage or something. No, no, nothing like that. This guy grabs a ladder and grabs a can of dust off. They have security that are not supposed to let anybody in there. And he goes up and he says, hey, I'm part of the production crew and I'm, I got to go in here and they want me to go blow the, off the lenses of these cameras over there. And the guy's like, no, because the guy's been told no. And he goes, no, I, I got it. And then he like goes away and he comes back, goes, look, they're going to get pissed at me and they're pissed at you and I got to go do this and he can't do this. Well, this goes on for like 30 minutes. And then finally, the security guy calls a supervisor over and the supervisor goes, yeah, let him in. So the guy goes up, he looks in all the rooms, pretends like he's blowing the lens off. He walks in all the rooms and then he sees this hostage hiding in a bathroom because there are cameras in every room in all the places, right? So he just follows the cameras and then he gets to where the hostage is and touches them. And he, you know, I won, I did it, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, there's nothing ninja about that. And he goes, oh yeah, there is. He goes, it, it was mind control. He goes, I manipulated their mind into allowing, no, that's called BSing. <laughs> that's what that's called. You BSed your way into there. But anyway, that was the ninja. The ninja did that. So not only did he stay, he was a remote viewer, but then he took BS and referred to it as mind control. Now, are you going to be teaching classes again anytime soon? Yeah, we're really busy getting a new web page up, and we're really busy with all of that, and that's happening. Don't go to the DaveMorehouse.com because I don't have anything to do with that. That was Shanghai a long time ago from me by certain parties. And the new one, davidmorehouse.org, will be up soon. We just have a couple more pieces to finish on it. And 
as soon as that's there, we're going to start a series of classes. And in fact, there's going to be another series of classes that will be done with an organization called Upgrade. Mm-hmm. I told you that you and I will do some for like your, the people who watch with you may, will do something. I'm going to start doing an introduction series, introduction to remote viewing series, which just be like, like a one day thing. It's either going to be a one day or a two day. I'm still toying with what the syntax would be for that. Everything will be online. I don't think any of us are ever going to go back to live classes again. It's uh, too expensive for people to travel. It's too difficult for people. And it's so much more effective now with the technology that we have to do things, you know, everybody's sitting in the comfort of their own home. And and that's what we're going to do. So, yeah, there's a lot more coming and we're going to do that. And, yeah, I would really, really like to build student population up again in all the years since I stopped teaching for about 18 years, pretty much data has changed the way in which I can present classes. I mean, you know, updating everything now, it's so much easier stream decks and ATEM minis and, you know, ATEM mini pros and all the different things. The upgrade folks is a different kind of clientele and it's kind of heavier into NLP stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. a very productive, capable group of people. And William Lamb is one of my students. And he is the head of Upgrade. He's also the guy that, you know, has been involved in all these virtual reality things like Jump. I, I think I told you about before. Yeah. You know, it's like the in Las Vegas, reality. right? Yeah. Well, I don't think they went back to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, there was something else. It was called the Void, the Void. And uh, I think that shut down now because it just, you know, it's the virtual reality got so much better you know, so many more billions of pixels than they had back then. But that was really a lot of fun. I mean, you can be a stormtrooper on the the Death Star, you know, fighting off an alien attack and stuff. It's a lot of fun. Now it's a wingsuit. You're in a wingsuit. And he said, it is so unreal. I really want to get out there to do it. There's one in Utah, I think, and one in New York. And people that have done it just said it's unbelievable. You know, the resolution of it, when you walk up to the edge to get ready to jump off in your wingsuit, if your foot goes over the edge, you can see grains of sand dropping, you know, out from under your foot. I mean, that's the resolution. And of course, when you jump, you're hooked into a harness and stuff, and it's situated such that it you don't feel like you're hooked into a harness. And so as you're flying, the movements of your body are sensed by the computer, and then it actually steers the virtual reality. You know, so you feel that way. You know, they have wind and smells and, you know, everything else that come at you all the way down to where you pull your ripcord and come down to a nice soft landing in the meadow down at the bottom. And I think they have it so that they can plug in different scenarios, flight scenarios. Like I know that the one we talked about was in France at that place where so many people had jumped, you know, mm-hmm. you go through very narrow canyons and between trees and things like that with this stuff going god i don't know what terminal velocity on that thing is but it's enough to tear you apart if you nick something so yeah it would be like actually doing a wingsuit jump without all the danger of a wingsuit jump (laughs) you know so we're also going to be working on some veterans programs with them we've titled one of them warrior upgrade empowering the possibility of veterans or, or some words to that effect and we're going to be doing that because then we want to scholarship veterans and to 
uh, a lot of these trainings. I still remain concerned, you know, that so many of our brothers and sisters are taking their own life. You know, what is it, 21 to 23 a day? You know, I think read some places and they they say it's down to 19, but I don't think so. Anything above zero is not good. <laughs> exactly. We're also talking about use of virtual reality and some of that thing. I, I think it'd be extraordinarily powerful to go like, what's the one thing that most people who have been in a firefight and lost friends thinks about? that at This conceptual illusion, right? The circles and cycles, a, and they think I could have done something or I should have done something or this or that, right? And we were just toying with this idea that, okay, so you can go get the after action reports for all these firefights, right? And, and you can input testimony from everybody. This wouldn't be something for public consumption, but it would certainly be a therapeutic tool to use for. Yeah, for, for some people, so, some people. Veterans. Yeah. Some people won't want to relive no, it. Some won't others, want to relive it, but you know, might help. to relive it like that in that kind of a controlled environment, right? It gives you an understanding now based on what everybody else said, even what you've said, you get to see that you couldn't have done anything different, right? Right. You had no control over that moment that what you did was fight. And, you know, it wasn't about you doing something differently, you know, in that case. That's the biggest thing. In some cases, that, that may not be true, but in most cases, the vast majority of cases, that would be true. Yeah, there's nothing you could have done to change the outcome of that scenario. And that alone sometimes becomes enough to take someone off the edge, right? Because their mind, from when that incident occurred, from that time forward, it spends this conceptual illusion about what coulda, shoulda, mighta been and how I could have saved my buddy's life or my buddy's lives, right? And I just think that has a big application. So I don't know. I want to really get involved in some of that stuff. And I'll talk with you more about that because I know you would have interest in helping with that. It's an important thing. You got to keep doing something for them. I can't sit back on my hands and, you know, just let it keep occurring. You know, it's too bad. Yeah, and I, since I'm not going to sail around the world and take donations to raise awareness for it, <laughs> I'm not even going to paddleboard across the river out here. So you know, those things are not going to happen. I, I think doing something like this would be really powerful. Agreed. All right, my friend, as always, right, it's a pleasure. And thank you for sharing this stuff with me. I really appreciate that in my audience. Of course. Love you guys. All right. All right. See you soon, brother. Okay. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh,